Few living Oregonians can say they played a role in shaping one of the crown jewels of our state, enjoyed by millions of people each year. Stan Hanatsu is one of those Oregonians. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, travel and outdoors reporter and co-host of the Peak Northwest podcast, Jamie Hale, is here. And we're going to talk about his profile about Stan, talk about the Columbia River Gorge, and so much more. Jamie, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Jamie, I really enjoyed your your story. It's always great to read about interesting and influential people that you know we don't know about. That's one of the beauties of of journalism and the, the type of access we get. So, I just want to step back before this story a bit. And how did you first meet Stan, and why did you want to tell his story? Well, Stan has been a source of mine you know, for the, I guess about the last seven years or so, since around the time I started working on the outdoors and travel beat, um, Stan has always been sort of the recreation guy in the mm-hmm. gorge, um, the recreation guy for the U.S. Forest Service. And he was always just sort of the person to talk to about closed trails or bridge repairs or whatever's going on in recreations, you know, recreation areas in the gorge. So he was always just the kind of the guy I talked to, and he had just this wealth of knowledge and was just such uh, a, a good source, you know, from, from a professional standpoint. Um, he always was sort of that, that guy willing to talk to the press and, mm-hmm. you know, willing to go beyond just sort of like non-committal answers. Now, I, as, as a former reporter, know what makes a good source, but obviously access <laughs> is, is important, but maybe some listeners might not know. I mean, when you're talking to someone for, for that long, um, you know, obviously, what what did you enjoy about talking to him, and what what made him a good source? Well, I, he was, I think, just always willing to talk was the thing. If, for example, so if I'm going to uh, ask uh, someone from a government agency about a closed trail, they can really easily say, "Look, we don't know when it's going to reopen," and that's <laughs> right. totally fair. But what Stan would do is he would say something like, "Well, we're really hoping to reopen it in the spring, but it looks like there might be some wet weather coming." At you know, in February. So that might push it back to June. It's basically saying the same thing as I don't know when the trail is going to reopen, but it's giving information that I can then put in the story. It's giving people like actual details. And that's like a really small thing that Stan understood that people need and that people want. Absolutely. And uh, like you said, as a reporter, that's, that's great because you want to give people good information and he was willing and able to give it. Exactly. And this is kind of what I've heard from the way that he's worked with other people in the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area, as that area is known, is that he was sort of the guy willing to listen, willing to talk, willing to have conversations um, and sort of just get into the the muck of it. So it's not every day that you decide to go deep and write an interesting profile on a source. But um, obviously, there's a moment that made sense to write it. And he has an interesting life story, too. So um could you just tell us about, about Stan Hanatsu and, and his story and his upbringing? Yeah. Well, so Stan retired at the end of 2022 after working 31 years uh, for the Forest Service in the Gorge, which is a really long time for yeah. anyone working one position, let alone someone in you know uh, an agency like the U.S. Forest Service. But Stan was kind of like, he, he's, he's one of these guys who spent most of his life in this area. So Stan is a third generation Oregonian. Um, he's from the Portland area. His mm-hmm. grandparents immigrated here from Japan on both sides. And his dad's side, um, they were sharecroppers in the Portland area. His mom's side, they grew flowers and greenhouses in Milwaukee, just south of Portland. 
Um, and so Stan grew up with the two of them and this great influence. Um, of course, being of Japanese descent in that time period was not always easy. Both of his parents' families were taken to the Minidoka prison camp during World War II out in Idaho. Yeah. And uh, his dad's family, you know, went back to Ontario, did some farming there. His mom's family actually went back to their same farm in Milwaukee because their neighbors had kept up the land for them, which was pretty rare uh, yeah. in that time. Yeah. Um, really cool experience. But they eventually met uh, in Portland again and raised Stan and his three sisters in the Portland area. Um, it was a pretty cool upbringing. His, so his dad worked as an illustrator from Iron Frank, you know, drawing mm -hmm. pictures at first and then taking pictures. His mom was a PE teacher at a high school in Portland. And um, so they kind of grew up, you know, doing the Portland lifestyle, but also going out into nature like a lot of families here do. So they loved the gorge, obviously. Um, so Stan talked about having these, you know, memories being a child of biking up to Vista House or, you know, um, hiking through Oneonta Gorge mm -hmm. or picnicking in Eagle Creek, all the stuff that we do today still, he said, just with far fewer crowds, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, so when he, he was thinking about, you know, as a kid, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? He would always watch Lassie, he said, and just imagined himself like being on a horse with his dog out in the wilderness. And he thought, I want to help people do what I like to do. I want to help people, you know, get out and enjoy the woods and the rivers and the mountains like I do. Oh, that's a great visual. I can see can see him from the images uh, in your story, which we'll share in the episode notes. But uh, frolicking through the fields with a dog and, and a horse, I mean, <laughs> that does not get much better than that. So, you know, a lot of people have those dreams, but, um, you know, he turned this into a career. Um, what was his career path like? How did he go from um, growing up in, in the Portland area to um, to the position that he ultimately retired in? Well, so he started as a forest service intern while he was in college still at OSU studying forestry. Um, so he st started up in the Wenatchee National Forest mm -hmm. um, and he was doing, you know, firefighting, just real basic stuff. Um, back then, this is in the 1970s, the forest service was still largely um, all about timber. So he was doing a lot of work, um, you know, understanding how to work with the timber industry, assessing timber stands, you know, fighting fires ostensibly to protect those, you know, natural resources, um, doing a lot of that kind of stuff. He had, you know, talked to his peers about wanting to do recreation. They said, you know, that's not really kind of the focus right now. So get your feet wet doing timber, um, keep, keep coming back, doing these internships and you'll mm -hmm. get there eventually maybe. So that's what he did. He, you know, after college, he went back to Wenatchee and he started doing timber work for the forest service. But in uh, 1991, he got a really nice job offer um, at the really newly created Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area, which had just been created in 1986. Um, this is a pretty interesting designation. So unlike yeah, a national forest, yeah, well, unlike a national forest, which is just like a, a U.S. Forest Service managed area, this national scenic area was like this patchwork of agencies. So in the gorge on either side of the river, you have uh, Washington State Parks, Oregon State Parks, County Parks, you know, o Oregon Department of Transportation lands and U.S. Army Corps of Engineer lands. And you have, um, of course, U.S. Forest Service lands. All of these different agencies manage this. And in the 1986, they decided to bring them all together under one sort of unified agency with the goal of 
preserving, protecting these lands for their like, you know, environmental purposes and also as a recreation area. This was, I think, something that people see today and they think it's a really great treasure that we have. But when it first opened, it was not super popular, at least not among everybody. So this was something where a lot of locals in the gorge said, you know, they, the federal government's coming in, telling us what we can and can't do with our land. People who wanted to develop, you know, neighborhoods or build retirement homes are suddenly told they can't do that anymore. They have to go through certain regulations in order to do that. And it was pretty contentious. So Stan, having moved from this contentious job managing timberlands with the mm -hmm. Forest Service, now moved into this, con this contentious position of managing all of this conflict with the Forest Service in the gorge. And he was kind of like the perfect person to do it. I think having cut his teeth on those conflicts, he kind of, he knew and maybe just had this innate skill of like talking to people and working with people who, you know, had all of these different ideas of what the right thing what to do was and knowing just sort of how to soothe over those different tensions. Yeah. That was one of the things that uh, came out of your reporting that was interesting is, you know, he, he it's not often that you're going to, well, it depends on the the area, right? But uh, Forest Service and environmental advocates or um, people who are, who are really fiercely devoted to a certain issue, um, it's not unusual for them to clash, right? But uh, people had mm -hmm. uh, good things to say about Stan and how he managed this area. Yeah, you know, so as we kind of move forward through the, the, the decades, he becomes the the Forest Service go-to guy for a lot of these talks. So you end up in these big, you know, big meeting table conversations with all these agencies, not just the agencies, but like advocacy groups and, you know, local governments mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, individuals who have vested interests in this area. Stan is sort of like the Forest Service go-to person to, to, you know, arrange and manage all of this. Um, and it becomes a really, just really important job there because the Forest Service, of course, just one partner in the, the scenic area, but it is, um, what everyone was sort of telling me, pretty much the biggest partner in the scenic area. They do manage a lot of land there. They are kind of like the primary source when it comes to managing recreation areas. So Stan's not only doing all these meetings, he's also, you know, dealing with wildfires and they break out in the gorge or landslides or, bridges that, you know, break or, you know, mm -hmm. any number of trail closures, managing crowds, all of these things. He's just juggling a thousand different things. When I, I saw him, um, I went to go interview him on his like last couple of weeks on the job. He had a to-do list that I, I get you not was like 60 items long. <laughs> I don't know if there's a second page because it was top to bottom on the page. And that was just the day's to-do list. It was just like Tuesday. Here's all these things to do. And he's just one of these people who can manage all of that. Um, it's very impressive. And everyone who I spoke to was just, I think, had nothing but good things to say about Stan. And I think I got this impression that everyone was just really impressed with how he's been able to do this job. So the land itself, I mean, ha have there been new trails that have popped up during his time? I mean, are they blazing trails uh, during the last few decades or has it kind of been just uh, managing and improving on the existing network that was already there? Yeah, well, that was one of the things he told me. He said when in the time he came on in the early 90s, most national forests were taking an active stance at not creating new trails. Mm -hmm. They wanted to kind of slow things down a little bit. But in the Columbia River Gorge, it was the exact opposite. They're saying, we want to uh, acquire new land. We want to build new trails. We want to give people more opportunities. 
to get out in this area. So they're not all just crowded into say Eagle Creek, Multnomah Falls, whatever. Since that time, they've been really actively invested in finding ways to spread people out because a lot of people like to go to the gorge. Yeah. So Stan oversaw um, a lot of uh, uh, acquisition of like some of these wildflower areas we know now. So um, places like Memaloose or Coyote Wall, um, these are places that he helped um, the Forest Service acquire and then build new trails on. So places that are sort of now like classic spring wildflower destinations are actually pretty new. And he's been around long enough where he can say he's had the kind of impact to help create those places. That's pretty special. Um, have you been out in the woods uh, with Stan before? You know, I, I, we haven't just like gone casually hiking or anything. <laughs> I, I think I've um, been out, you know, when there's like a, a, a news conference on a fire or, a, you know, a bridge repair or something like that. Um, you know, that sort of thing. But he definitely is the kind of person who likes to get out there. Um, he told me he doesn't do a lot of, you know, hunting or fishing anymore, but he loves to get out there and hike. He, he likes to be out in nature. Um, he likes to take his kids out in nature as well. He has, after growing up with three sisters, he has, uh, three daughters himself. So oh, wow. that's nice. Um, does he have a favorite spot or favorite, uh, go-to spots that he talked about in terms of places in the gorge? You know, I, I tried to ask him that. And I, I think like a lot of people, like people ask me this too, and it's, it's impossible to say like, here's my favorite spot or here's a go-to spot. And I, I think Stan's probably about the same of the same thought. So, um, you know, it, it's hard because there's so many really amazing, beautiful places. Um, like when people ask me, you know, where, where should I go in the gorge? It's like, well, do you want to see waterfalls? Mm -hmm. Do you want to see big views of the river? Do you want to hike a bunch? Do you want to, you know, not hike? Um, it, there's really just so much there that it's, it's impossible to, I think, pick just one or two. Now, obviously, uh, the area has changed a lot in the last couple, uh, decades during his time there. I mean, you've kind of alluded to it. The population has grown, um, you know, Hood River and Stevenson are, you know, destinations on both sides of the river. Um, how has that complicated his job? You know, it, it's just, I think, more obstacles, more challenges. Um, he talked a lot about the increase in visitors between like 2006 and 2016, where, like you said, the Portland metropolitan area, the population just swelled. And, you know, the rise of social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram in that time period, um, campaigns like Travel Oregon's Seven Wonders of Oregon, which mentioned the gorge in there. All of these things contributed to this huge number of people coming out. And that meant trying to figure out how to manage these crowds. So all of a sudden, you know, Stan and a lot of people in the National Scenic Area are looking at ways to mitigate, not just like overcrowding, but how, how can we help protect these natural environments as well. So that's where we saw things like, you know, an, an investment in public transportation mm -hmm. to places like Dog Mountain, to places like Multnomah Falls, um, where the, you saw, you know, um, timed entry permit systems for Multnomah Falls and last year for the historic Columbia River Highway. Um, just kind of constantly looking for ways to help mitigate the crowds or um, deal with any obstacles, obstacles that might come forward. Yeah, that kind of stuff I, I would imagine would have been unimaginable when he first arrived here uh, um, in this gig 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like you said, it's changed a lot. Um, and But I think that's kind of the, the, the nature of the gorge in itself. And people 
um, have this idea. Um, this is something that Stan said that people have this idea of forests as static places, but they're actually these, these really constantly changing ecosystems. And the Columbia River Gorge as a whole is, is like that too. Um, I mean, it, it looks totally different today than it looked 60 years ago, but it, you know, it looked totally different a uh, hundred years ago than it did 60 years ago. I mean, we used to have Celilo Falls on the Columbia River, yeah. and that was one of the biggest waterfalls in the world. And today it's underwater. Um, even before that, the lava flows, um, the earthquakes, the landslides always have shaped this land. And, it, you know, so it's a place that is constantly changing. And if you're someone who really thrives in that environment of constantly facing new challenges, like it seems Stan does, then it's a really great place to work and, you know, stake out a career. You know, staying with that same mindset, I guess, it makes sense then that when the Eagle Creek fire came through and, you know, it was pretty emotional and devastating in the moment, but he didn't have maybe the same reaction that, um, that some people who just like to go out there and, um, you know, on a weekend, uh, multiple times a year had, right. He, he viewed it <laughs> through the same prism that you just described. Yeah, exactly. It, it was interesting. Stan said he was taken aback by how emotional the response was. Um, that to me was very normal and natural because I had a similar emotional response myself, but he, he's a forester, right? He's like, well, I was expecting it to burn at some point. Um, and here it is. Um, but he said, you know, that hearing that emotional outpouring was really sort of a learning moment for him. He had always kind of assumed people came out to the gorge just because it's convenient, um, or because like, there's a lot of places to hike. And he said, you know, seeing that showed me that people come out here because it, that this place means something to them. Like there's, there's a deeper connection there. Um, and that's true. I think, you know, people have this really, personal emotional and spiritual connection with the columbia gorge um truly always have and so you know to be in charge of that it, it, it was interesting to me thinking of stan being in this position yeah. and obviously he's not singular right he's one part of a lot of people in charge of this area but in a way he's sort of like um you know for those who view it as a spiritual area he's sort of like a, a monk overseeing this temple right He's someone who is there to protect and keep it up and make sure people can continue to go there. Um, so it's a really important role for people who really care about the gorge. You know, to stay with that kind of philosophical bent, Jamie, I mean, what does this, his story and his career experience say about all of our experiences, I guess, as, as we approach uh, the outdoors? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of magnetic, isn't it? You know, um, I think people are drawn towards these beautiful outdoor spaces. The fact that people can go, um, hiking anywhere in this incredible region and people continue to come back to the gorge really says something, um, about that place and about, I think maybe our desire to create relationships with places. Um, when we develop this relationship with the land, we, uh, I think, can um, really get kind of sucked in and focused on particular places in particular, just like we might have really good friends, mm -hmm. we might have really good relationships with our family. And Stan seemed to really get sucked in here to the Columbia River Gorge. Uh, and people talk about, you know, 31 years working in one place with the Forest Service. I talked to other Forest Service people, they're like, people move around constantly in this agency. It's almost unheard of to hear someone spending, you know, most or all of their career in one place. They're always moving around. So there was something about this place that drew Stan in and something about the way that he worked here 
that kept him in that place. And it's really Im- impressive. And I think really telling, um, of the gorge in general. So, you know, where does he go from here off into retirement? I guess, what does that look like <laughs> for someone who's been in the action and had the, you know, 60 different action items on a day? That That's a, that's a big change. <laughs> yeah. I asked him about this and he said, you know, it's going to be a slow ease out. Uh, he's still going to kind of be on, on hand to help out with the transition, um, doing some work every now and then, but then he said he might do, you know, some volunteer work here and there. Um, might just kind of be around. It doesn't sound like Stan's going to be gone. Um, you know, he's not just going to like hoof it to Florida or something. Um, although who knows, maybe he'll change his mind. and <laughs> don't want to do that, but it sounds like there is something still, um, where he feels drawn to, to stay here and drawn to continue doing work in some capacity, at least for a little while. Well, you know, I think it's just fascinating to learn you know, this is someone obviously I was not talking to, uh, on a frequent basis like you were and to, to see kind of the influence he had, um, I think is going to change how I, you know, what I'm thinking about next time I'm out, uh, whether it's on the Eagle Creek or, uh, other spots on the gorge, I might think of Stan a little bit when I'm out there. Yeah. And all the people who, who do work on, on this, in the gorge, um, on these trails, trails are designed to look like they're just the easiest things. Like they just came out of the ground, but so much work goes into it. So much effort, so much collaboration. And Stan is, I think such a great example of, of that kind of collaboration. Yeah. And if I ever do Mount defiance again, I can curse his name as I go up that, <laughs> that wretched, <laughs> wretched trail. Uh, man, I'm, I'm sore just thinking about it. <laughs> well, is there anything else about, um, about Stan in particular, or kind of this overall topic that you'd want to hit on. Uh, It's a really a great story about an interesting guy. Yeah, you know, I I think what I kept hearing from people was just the way that he talked to people, the way he treated people. And this is, I think, such a great uh, example for anybody, um, especially people who work with other people. Um, He had this this way of sort of, or he has um, this way of grace of talking to people, where, you know, even if people are having these ideas that he doesn't agree with, or they're trying to, you know, bristle at him or anything like that. He listens, he's willing to hear people out. He's willing to do, um, you know, work on their behalf. He's willing to try to do what he can to help people out. And I think there's this sort of this non-attachment there. That's really uh, impressive that I think can be inspiring, um, to not get angry, not get upset, not shut down, but to just open yourself up and listen. That's, I mean, a really hard thing to do, but um, for folks like Stan who can do that, it's such a benefit to everyone around them. Well said. Well, Jamie, thank you for the story and for coming on the show to talk about it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you haven't read the story already, I'll share a link in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts or tell a friend. Also check out Peak Northwest, which Jamie has been doing since 2019, uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.